Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Medical education today can pose many challenges to people of faith. We at the NCBC, in various contexts, interact with medical students and residents who express concerns about not only the content of the training they receive, but also the medical interventions they may be forced to perform. Interventions that violate Catholic teaching and their rightly formed conscience. These challenges are arguably most acute within the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology. How does a faithful Catholic navigate the ethical landmines of OB-GYN training? Can one even be a faithful Catholic and specialize in this area? To offer perspective on these and other questions, I am happy to welcome Ashley Womack, MD, to the podcast. Ashley is an OBGYN who in recent years navigated the ethical minefield of her training and in doing so helped to hopefully change the system for the better. Ashley Womack, welcome to Bioethics on Air. Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to be speaking with you today um, because I think we have a really, really interesting uh, topic and a really, really interesting discussion for our listeners. But as a new guest on our podcast, and this is your first time on our podcast, hopefully it won't be your last, (laughs) but uh, as a new guest on our podcast, I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners a bit about your background, specifically your education, your work experience, and your present position. Sure. So I am uh, born and raised in Texas, in Dallas, Texas. I uh, did my undergraduate training in California at USC, came back to Texas at UT Southwestern for medical school. I did an OBGYN four-year residency at UT Austin uh, Dell Medical School and Seton Hospital System down there. That's a Catholic hospital system. And then I went to, I did a fellowship in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. That's two more years in Phoenix. And so I just moved back to Dallas finally in this past um, end of summer and started working at Arbor Vitae Healthcare, which is a Catholic clinic here in Dallas. Yeah. I like to talk, we're going to talk about uh, Arbor Vitae a little bit later on. You got to tell us a bit about the funny story of what happened in Phoenix at the <laughs> NCBC seminar. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. So I was there uh, for the two-day seminar. Um, and this is back in January of 2020, just before the that? shutdowns, yeah, the lockdowns. That's right. yeah. Yes, that's right. So the two-day seminar was in Phoenix, which I thought was just amazing because we were there for, uh, felt my husband and I were there for fellowship, for my fellowship. And uh, I can't remember who was speaking. It was uh, Joseph Meany, our president. Was it, was it, okay, yep. great. So he, he started telling the story about a resident who, you know, had this moral dilemma in residency and had this conscience issue in uh, OBGYN fellowship or residency in Texas. And I was like, is he, is he talking about me? <laughs> so I raised my hand. I was like, I think you're talking about me. <laughs> so it was great. It, it was funny. And we're going to be talking about that in this interview. But I, I remember my daughter and I were sitting in the table right behind you and your husband. Uh-huh. And I remember we looked, Joseph was, was telling this story and you guys are looking at each other like, <laughs> what is going like what is that me is that me and then your husband starts pointing at you and and then he jumps up and he he like he he yells to joseph that that's her that's actually she's right there that's right it was pretty funny yeah so uh, 
so that, it was at that point that I said, I got to get you on the podcast and it's taken two years, but here, right, here we are. Here, here we <laughs> yes. are. So it's good. Ashley, before we, we get into the, 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 you know, our, our main discussion today, tell me a little bit about your faith and how, how your faith influences both your life and your work. Cause I think that's going to be really important for our discussion. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely the foundation of, you know, my life, my vocation and my work as a physician. I mean, it's influenced me obviously personally as, you know, a way to nurture my soul and, um, you know, sanctify my life um, through the sacraments and, you know, daily spiritual life. But it also definitely laid the foundation for my practice of medicine. I mean, giving me moral principles to practice by, but then also, you know, knowing I'm not practicing medicine alone, that I have the mm -hmm. intercession of Our Lady and the saints. And it also, I think, um, get, especially in light of, I think COVID really highlighted this. It gives you a kind of a sense of detachment, knowing that there's life beyond this one, mm -hmm. sort of a sense of detachment with your medical interventions, that this, this isn't the end all be all, you know, you don't control life. There's something beyond this life. So I think in, in so many different ways, it's, it's framed my perspective on what medicine is. Yeah. A great answer. Love that. All right. So I, I asked you on the podcast today because while working for the NCBC, I, I sometimes run across faithful people in the medical field. Well, I run across a lot of pe faithful people in the <laughs> medical field, but faithful people who have a story that I think others really need to hear. And, and some of the, the past episodes we had, uh, Megan Kraft was on. She's a, she's a physician assistant who was fired by Providence Health in Oregon mm -hmm. for practicing medicine as a Catholic. That was episode 44. Um, in episode 74, we had Nicole Sherilla, who's a palliative care physician, and she spoke about the impact of the state of California legalizing assisted suicide while she was out there. So mm -hmm. kind of in the, in the spirit, so to speak, of, of Megan and Nicole, I, I really love to have people hear your story, um, particularly as, and as we were talking a little bit before we started recording, mm -hmm. particularly medical students and particularly residents and those who are, who are really kind of young in their careers. Uh, yes. I think you've got a real good story to, to tell. So let, let's start with, um, with medical school. And again, this is the, the, the basis for this is really, you know, a lot of the medical students who we talk to and who mm. are really concerned about not only content or curriculum, but 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 interventions that they may be forced to either mm. uh, maybe they don't perform them, but they may assist in certain things as, as mm. time goes by. So tell us about your experiences at uh, UT Southwestern Medical Center. Were there ethical challenges um, or challenges to your faith to your faith that you uh, faced during medical school? Definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, medical school, you do kind of come head to head with certain ethical dilemmas. Like you mentioned, the, the burden of the care for the patient is not on you. I mean, you're mm -hmm. observing, you're helping sometimes, and, you know, you're not writing prescriptions or anything. So you're a little bit removed and protected from that. But there are certain times when you do have to kind of um, put your foot down or say something. So I think that for my experience, I mean, one thing I will say for all the medical students listening, what was huge for me is that when I got to medical school, I immediately got in contact with the Catholic group there. The St. Basil Society is the name of the group at UT Southwestern. And so getting involved with that group, I immediately had this network of other medical students older than me who had gone through the rotations before me. They could give me advice, give me tips. 
plus knowing other attendings, you know, who are who have you know been very successful in the academic world, and who they can also help mentor you through some of these difficult situations. I mean, that was so key, you know, because um, I, I think I successfully navigated through, but not without the help of different mentors and people who come right. before me. So that's first. But I would say, um, you know, you you start to see some of the um, ethical issues in your third year and clerkship years. So um, I'm trying to think of some examples, but uh, for example, in the OBGYN rotation, that this rotation is on the top of my head because that's where I went. Mm-hmm. But uh, you do tubal ligation. Well, they do tubal ligations, particularly, you know, you do a C-section and then do a tubal ligation immediately after. Mm-hmm. Yep. So th- that was a situation where, you know, I had to say, you know, I'm going to step away from the table while you do the tubal ligation and then I can help afterwards. Um, but, you know, it, I think what also helped is that I talked to the clerkship director beforehand and said, you know, just and, and I was really blessed that she's an amazing clerkship director and very uh, open to everyone. And so I told her, you know, this is the deal. Like I'm, I'm Catholic and I don't want to do tubal ligations or contraception. Contraceptions weren't really an issue because I wasn't prescribing. So, you know, I just want to get your advice on what I should do if this were to happen. And she said, oh, yeah, we've had people come before and we know all you have to do is just say you're going to step away from the table. And I did that. And it, so it was fine as far as grade wise, because I knew that people right. had gone before me. So it's so important for everyone to to be brave and, and set an example so that not only is it good for your soul, but you're helping pave the way for those that come after you. So I was really fortunate in that sense. Um, but it does build, make for some awkward situations, I think, with the residents who you're working with as a medical student. But that's when you just have to pray for the courage and just um, you know, have consolation in, um, the truth and just do your job well and with joy so that, you know, that they they don't see you as someone who's, uh, in their way of doing their job. You know, you're just not going to do this one thing. So, mm-hmm. um, that's something that I saw that was the most obvious, uh, I guess, moral dilemma. Yeah. Tell me if I'm, I'm right on this, because I've had a number of conversations with medical students on these types of topics. And, and I always tell them, I say, you know, first thing, be upfront with whoever, you know, whoever your mentor is or whoever the professor is. Um, and, you know, and let them know before, you know, before you're in, whether you're in an OR, or you're in a mm-hmm. patient mm-hmm. situation to, to let them know where you are so that everybody's, it kind of knows what's going on because you don't want, right. you know, you don't want all this to come out in a patient encounter. Is, is that? Right. That's exactly right. Try to anticipate, have forward thinking, know where there might be a dilemma or not, which, which speaks to forming yourself before you get to the clerkship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yep. the things that you believe, don't believe things that you want to stand for and things that you, you know, are okay with. Um, so definitely you want to have some foresight. Plus that's just a good thing to have when taking care of patients. Anyway, you know, you want right. to think two steps ahead of their care. So, right. Sure. How did how did people in medical school, whether it's your fellow students or faculty members or residents who you may have been working with, how did they respond to your being pro-life? Oh, you get all kinds of different responses. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, like I said, I found that that Catholic group, which was great. So obviously yep. they're supportive. But yeah, you know, I'd have occasional conversations with other medical students about it. Um, 
And, you know, I, I go to church on Sunday and they know that or, um, but it, it didn't come up too much, honestly. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more with residency too, but yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it the, the most awkward conversation or an interaction I had was with a, uh, one of the OBGYN residents when I was a medical student and I, I, we all sat down for lunch and, you know, I did the sign of the cross and said my prayer before I ate the blessing. And so I guess that opened up for him an opportunity to bring up faith. And he said, he just asked me outright. So, you know, are, are you going to do, do you do contraception or I forget how he asked. So I was like, Whoa, I wasn't ready for this. I guess this is it Lord. <laughs> I was just going to eat my lunch. <laughs> so I said, Oh no, you know, I, I don't do that. Um, and then, you know, he asked, well, what about two bowls? And so I said, no, not that. Um, so it was definitely awkward. Cause then he said, well, you know, I just, I just wouldn't want to, you know, practice or, you know, be in the same residency as someone who doesn't do that because then that's more work for me. So I was like, <laughs> okay, this is awkward. So I'll just keep well, there's a, a very utilitarian understanding of, I, uh, know, I was like, okay, well, thanks for your honesty. <laughs> yeah. So just, just to clarify what, uh, what years were you in medical school or what year did you graduate from medical school? Just to get I, a timeline here. Yeah. Let me see. I graduated medical school. 2015. This wasn't supposed, it wasn't supposed to be a difficult question. <laughs> I know that's probably the hardest question. <laughs> All right. So you graduated in 2015 yes. and you decided to go into OBGYN. That's right. All right. So, so now we're moving to your residency mm -hmm. at uh, the Del Seton medical center and that's mm -hmm. in Austin, correct? That's right. Yes. All right. So again, kind of the same question. Let's start off with there. What issues or challenges did you face in your residency? And and the same question about uh, interacting with others or how did others respond to your being pro-life? Sure. Well, so I guess first we should talk about applying to residency because this is okay. a huge thing that a okay. lot of medical students have questions about because it's a scary thing to navigate, especially if you're a Catholic trying to go into OBGYN or another field where it's kind of contentious. Oh, there's so, an understatement right there. Yeah. So there's a, there's a little, uh, there's many different ways to go about it. But, um, so what I did was before I even made my application, you know, before I gathered it, I met with the program director at UT Southwestern just to get her advice, you mm -hmm. know? So when I'm, when I'm applying, this is my, you know, my deal is that I'm, I'm not going to do tubules or, or contraceptions so, or abortions. So, uh, you know, how, it was just an open question. How should I approach this when I go to interviews? Should I tell them before? Should I tell them during, after? What would your advice be being a program director? What would you want to hear? And I, I said, you know, I just want to keep doors open as much as possible. And the first thing that came out of her mouth was, well, doors are going to close. I was like, okay, well, can I keep them open like a little bit longer? <laughs> and it's like, so, uh, gee, thanks for that advice. Yeah. I know. The second thing she said was, well, you can't come here. That was the second thing that she said, hadn't even done my application, didn't know my score, didn't even know me really. Right. You know, so, I mean, I had never felt discriminated against ever, except in that moment where the only thing she was basing that statement on was the fact that I had divulged my, my faith to her and said, I'm Catholic and this is how I practice. So, I mean, that's going to happen, but my advice for approaching the interview process is apply based on your merit. You apply to programs and you let them reject you. Don't sell yourself short. So what I got, finally, when she gave me advice, she said, well, you know, you'll have to apply to small Catholic programs and, you know, they'll, they'll probably take you. And, you know, I said, well, 
that doesn't seem fair. I should just apply to where I want to go and mm -hmm. they can reject me if they want to, but that's their right. decision. So I applied everywhere. Um, you know, and what I did as far as bringing it up to them was if a program had enough time with the program director and I felt comfortable enough, I would ask them then and there. If it was a program where I knew someone had already gone through as an quote, NFP only resident, then I didn't ask because I knew the precedent had already been set. Okay. If it was a program that was a little bit more of a stretch, a reach program for me to get to, and I didn't have that much time with the program director, then I didn't ask them the day of. I let them review me and you know evaluate me based on my merit. And then if I was still interested afterwards, I emailed them uh, to ask. So um, the program that I actually went to, UT Austin, I, at, for that one, I had a lot of time with the program director and I felt comfortable enough talking to him that I asked then and there. And it, he had the best response. He said, why would we make you do anything you don't want to do? <laughs> like it was a dumb question. I was like, well, wow. that's what I thought people would say, but they don't say that. Right. <laughs> so um, so I, I kind of did it that way. I did it, you know, program dependent. I know other um residents who asked everyone the day of and they just wanted to get it out there from the get-go in person that was their strategy some people just apply to programs where they know there's a precedent so you kind of have to assess your comfort level with and what kind of program you want to go to mm -hmm. so with that in mind with that response from the program director at the at the school where you ultimately went were there were you faced with challenges when you got into your actual residency i don't know we're going to get to the you know, yes. We're going we're to get to the rotation um, in yes. a bit, but um, did you face any issues or did you face any blowback from people for because of your because of what you would do or would not do as a captain? Yeah. So when I first got there, you know, before I went to residency, I was I was nervous about going. Like, how would I navigate this? I know it's going to come up, and so I, you know, I was reading everything, like trying to figure out how I would explain you know, why I don't do this? Why I don't do this? How can I articulate it well in a way that's, you know, intelligent um, and doesn't just, you know, say, well, because I'm Catholic, that's why I'm not doing it. Right. So I was super prepared. And then when I got there, you know, I just made it clear from the beginning to people that I knew, you know, I don't do abortions, tubal ligations or contraception. So um, people just knew that about me. So mm -hmm. when it came up, like, for example, in the clinic space, when I have a patient coming in for an IUD insertion. All I do is I say to another resident, hey, um, do you want me to take your complicated OB patient and you can have this IUD insertion patient? And they're like, oh, for sure. I don't want to do this complicated <laughs> OB. So, I mean, you, you'd kind of navigate it in a way where they see it as not you adding work because you're, you don't do certain things. And that was my philosophy was I want to be the best resident I can be so that the only thing they can complain about is the fact that I don't do these things if they're going to complain about that. And to the point of inter interactions with residents, there was maybe like an initial kind of like, oh, she doesn't do that. Oh, OK. So you don't do this. And I just said, yeah, I don't do it. And it never came up. So, you know, I came like ready to explain myself. But you find that people don't really want to have the conversation. They kind of avoid the awkward conversation. Yeah. So no one really challenged me. They never said, well, why don't you do that? Like, that's silly or whatever. I mean, so I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did all this work. Ask me about it. So, yeah. 
Well, that's well. That leads me to actually the the the, the real reason for our conversation today, and um, it had to do with the rotation. I guess it was mm-hmm. that you had to do during your residency with Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So, first off, I, I was just I'm kind of curious, like why was Planned Parenthood a partner, so to speak, of of the Del Seton Medical Center, and at the time when when this was kind of starting, were there any pro-life options available to you um, for other rotations? Yeah. So the Planned Parenthood, so it's called the family planning rotation because how it works in OBGYN residency and, you know, most specialties is that while you're in OBGYN residency, you rotate at different subspecialties. So they'll do gynecology, oncology, reproductive endocrinology, um, urogynecology. So family planning is one of the newer um, subspecialties in OBGYN. So they make a, its own rotation for right. family planning. And the ACGME and ACOG made the family planning rotation. It used to be an opt-in rotation. So if you had an interest in it, you wanted to learn how to do abortions, you tell your program director and they have something there that you can opt into. Right. But I forget how many years before I started, they made it an opt-out. So the default was that you go right. this family planning rotation built in. And then if you don't want to go, you have to tell somebody that you don't want to go. Um, so that's why there was a rotation already set at okay. um, Del Seton because it was mandated. So the, and then I don't know exactly how uh, the partner, uh, um, there wasn't like a partnership between. Yeah, maybe Planned, it's not a bad word, but. Uh, yeah. Between Planned Parenthood and Del Seton, it was more just like the program. An arrangement. An arrangement. Decided to send us over there because actually the program director uh, for my program was hired like six months or maybe I forget when she was. She just started as a program director maybe six months after I'd gotten there or maybe a year after I'd gotten there. That's right, a year. And she was a provider at Planned Parenthood. She was an abortionist. Um, So she had connections there. And so uh, that kind of strengthened the relationship between the residency program and uh, Planned Parenthood. The default was to go there and you do, uh, I think it was five weeks in first year and five weeks in second year. So she started it, the, the, that split kind of rotation when I was in second year. So my first time to have to go to Planned Parenthood was in my second year. Hmm. So what happened when you approached, uh, whether it was the program director or faculty member, faculty advisor, whoever that person was or people were, and said, you know what, I'm not going to Planned Parenthood. Um, what was their reaction? Did you face pushback, any kind of marginalization from them? Well, you know, actually, before the rotation started, I had known that some girls before me had tried to opt out and were mm-hmm. denied. So, so let, me, let me get that straight. Yeah. They were de- they were denied an opt out? Yes. They were told that's not an option. You have to go. Because they under they were interpreting it as, the faculty were interpreting it as, you were opting out of doing the abortions but you have to go to Planned Parenthood. You still have, I, I got it. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. So, All right. so I had known that a few people had tried to opt out, but weren't successful. And so I said, well, you know, why don't I just go the first day, see what it's like, see what, you know, good I can do maybe doing ultrasounds or whatever. So I actually went the first day um, and it was awful. I mean, so what I first, I started by shadowing the counselor. Mm-hmm. And this is how they counsel. So, you know, you do your counseling with the patient, you know, they're newly pregnant. And then after they counsel, they do an ultrasound and then 
you know, whatever they decide. So uh, in the counseling, this is how it went. She said, well, so these are the papers and there's a big stack of papers at the corner of the desk. These are the papers that the state requires me to give you. Um, you can take them if you want to, but uh, let's just talk about the kind of abortion that would be good for you. So all that paperwork has information on parenting, adoption, you know, things required by the state to give, but they gave them quote to the patient, right? but no patient takes them, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it just, it was not informed consent. So even if you just look at it as, you know, basic medical ethics, you're not giving full informed consent to the patient. So I thought, well, I, I can't participate in this. They didn't have me counseling. I was just watching the counsel, the trained right. counselors. Right. So I said, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. So then I said, well, okay, I can help with ultrasounds. I can do ultrasounds. I can show the moms their babies. So I went there and um, I'm ultrasounding and the attending is the one talking. So, you know, I'm, I'm not talking to the patient. Mm -hmm. And by Texas law at the time, you had to show the women the, the ultrasound screen, describe everything that they're seeing and play the heartbeat. So what they did was they give women noise canceling headphones and they say, look that way. And then they show the screen to no one because they're not looking. They say, this is your uterus. This is the sac. Um, and then they play the um, ultrasound for literally a split second, but they have noise canceling headphones on with music in them. And so <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not doing this, <laughs> you know, like, and you know, I'm not the one talking. So, right. Um, you know, as you as you're as you're describing that, and this may be we're a little off script here, but I'm thinking of the movie Unplanned, mm -hmm. and how um, oh, I'm forgetting her name. I, I'm having a, a what, Abby um, Johnson. Abby Johnson. Thank yes. you. Yes, this is what happens when you hit your fifties. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the book in the movie um, Abby Johnson portrays Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. in a light like you just described it. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I was thinking when you, when mm -hmm. you were just talking mm -hmm. about that. And my, I, I was thinking to myself, particularly as I was watching the movies, like, is that true? Is that really what happens in a Planned yes. Parenthood facilities? And you're, and you're confirming that firsthand I, as well. I had the same skepticism that you had because I was like, you know what? I, I'm working, I work with these abortionists day to day. Like, is it, is it really that bad? You know, but going there, I was like, yeah, this is just not, not how you care for patients. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't participate in that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Oh. So anyway, but, um, you know, and they, they love stating the statistic that pregnancy is 14 times safer than delivering a baby. So you're making the right decision, you know. Pre pregnancy is 14 times? That's oh, right. Did, did I switch it? Abortion is 14 times safer than pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other way around. Yeah. Um, which is a statistic because, you know, like that's actually a real statistic. Um, but of course they're leaving out all kinds of details with that. So, right. So Ashley, tell us how you found an alternative site to Planned Parenthood and, and tell us about the process and what you had to do to get approved to go there. Yes. Yeah, so basically then after the first day there, uh, in the afternoon also they did, that's when they do the actual surgical abortion. So obviously yep. I wasn't going to do that. So I was just in the recovery room, like cleaning chairs, moving patients. It was, I don't know, not really uh, educational, but um, then, so after that I said, well, I am not going back there that I just can't do that. Like to ultrasound a baby that's going to die the next day. I'm just not going to do that. So 
then I emailed the program director and I said, um, you know, with all due respect, I must continue to opt out of this rotation. So I wanted to know what other alternative educational tracks you had for me. Um, so, you know, I'm basically just saying that there's opt out is already an option. So I'm going to take it. <laughs> um, so tell me what I'm going to do. So then uh, she emailed back and said, well, why don't we meet and talk about it? So we met and talked and she had the ACGME paperwork ready. That was like, you know, it's an opt out decision, but you know, unfortunately you have to go, you don't have to do anything, but you have to go. And so I was like, well, you know, with all due respect, I'm, I'm not going. Uh, and this is a second year resident, you know, talking to an attending. So, and then she said, well, um, can you tell me why you don't want to go? So I said, I basically said what I just said. I told her about the counseling and I said, well, I also don't want to ultrasound a baby that's going to die the next day. It's just not, I don't want to do that. And I think it kind of caught her off guard. She was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah. And she actually did ask me too, um, at the abortion clinic at Planned Parenthood when I was there, we stepped out of a patient room after an ultrasound. She's like, so how are you doing? Are, are you, are you okay? Are you, are you comfortable? And I said, no, not really. I don't think she expected me to say that. She's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, she didn't have like a solution. She's just like, okay, well, let me know if it gets worse. Right? And I was like, okay. So anyway, so uh, I'm meeting with her and she's, you know, doesn't really have a response. She said, well, maybe this is a good time for you to help us to improve our counseling. I was like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. So she said, okay, well, I guess if you want to keep opting out, you're going to have to meet with the chair of the department. So I said, okay, I'll meet with the chair. So, um, so we made an appointment to meet with the chair. Uh, I asked if my mentor could join one of the faculty um, from UT Austin. And she said, well, I don't really see mentors as advocates, but sure, you can bring her. <laughs> so she came. And because I'm, you know, it's little me trying to meet with the chair of the department. Um, and, and also, I want to say, as this is happening, people are, you know, you kind of, Get, people are getting getting rumblings of what's going on. I'm not telling anyone. I'm not telling any of my co-residents. But the faculty kind of have this murmuring of what's going on. And these pro-life faculty like come out of the woodwork. And they're, they're like secretly saying, Ashley, we, we support you. You got this. And Go I'm girl. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, why are you even hiding? You know? <laughs> really? Yeah. But um, but that's just, that's the environment that that the OBGYN world has made is that it's so hostile to pro-life people. But so then I meet with the chair and she's like, well, you know, Ashley, you really have to go because we have to meet these objectives. So she had the list of objectives right. that they're supposed to meet with a family planning rotation. So, you know, I took it, I went through the list and I said, I can get this at this clinic. I can get this at this clinic. I can get this here. I don't do abortion. So that's not an issue. <laughs> I can get this here. So I don't really don't see why I need to go to Planned Parenthood. Right. And she's like, she brought up some obscure, like complication from abortion. She's like, would you know how to handle that? I was like, well, I guess not, but that's like so rare. <laughs> I'll learn about it when it happens, you know? And so then um, she said, so we had a conversation Then she said, okay, well, I guess if you can write, you know, come up with some alternative for yourself, I guess I'll consider it. So I was like, 
okay, I'll do that. So like in a weekend, because I'm supposed to go to Planned Parenthood, I think the next Monday or Tuesday, I wrote up an alternative curriculum based on her objectives that I would go to the JP2 Life Center, to the VTA clinic. I would get this these experiences here. I get these experiences at this clinic and wrote it all up and then sent it to her on Sunday night or Monday night and waited for her to respond. Didn't get a response. So I get an email from the program director and she said, well, we haven't heard back from the chair. So I'll see you tomorrow at 7 a.m. So uh, I emailed back and I said, with all due respect, I won't be there. I'll be at this clinic until you tell me where to go. So I just had to continue to just not, I mean, what are they going to do? Drag me there? Like right. I'm not going. So, um, so anyway, I went to the JP2, the VTA clinic and they're awesome. I mean, I was so blessed to have them there as a recourse. For, tell us, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the JP2. Um, oh, they're so awesome. Center. If anyone doesn't know about VTA clinic and JP2 center, you should Google them, visit them. They're so great. They have a clinic, a uh, pro-life clinic tied to a pregnancy resource center. So it all happens in one, one spot. They've got two OB. This is, is this in Austin? In Austin. Yes. In and Austin. They okay. work out of Seton medical center, which is the same hospital where the residents are. So that was just fantastic. So they were just accepted me with open arms said, yeah, come over here anytime. You can definitely come here as an alternative to Planned Parenthood. No problem at all. And they were super excited about it. You know, wanted to get on board right away with making an alternative curriculum. So I feel really blessed to have had them there. Cool. Awesome. Did you, did, just kind of going back to, um, to your residency, did, did this decision to go to the, to the JP2 Life Center, did that negatively impact your residency at all moving forward? Or what was the reaction of people after you made the jump, so to speak? Yeah. So afterwards, well, so I went to the VTA clinic and I get a text from the department coordinator and said, uh, you need to leave the clinic now and come to the offices. I guess they weren't an approved site. So I had come to the offices and they basically, every day that I went to, was supposed to go to Planned Parenthood, they, they had me sit in the office and read instead of going to VTA clinic. So I was like, well, this is great, but whatever, it's better this than the alternative. So as far as um, reactions afterwards, I, I don't think it negatively impacted me at all. I mean, I, you know, what went was very clear that it was, you know, I was cordial, professional. And like I mentioned before, my philosophy going into residency was be excellent, be the best resident they've ever seen. So the only thing that they can complain about is that you don't do these things. So I think I built a foundation to where I was trusted by the residency program and they knew it was, I wasn't doing anything malicious or I wasn't being lazy. I wasn't trying to get out of work. It was that I was not going to do this one thing that they already know is a contentious issue, um, but I was open to doing whatever else they wanted me to. Right. And you're probably a hero to the, or maybe a, a, a behind the scenes hero to those faculty members who came up to you and whispered and said, <laughs> Ashley, we really support you. They probably loved it. I, I hope so. I think so. I mean, yeah, they're not getting into the politics of the whole thing, but yeah, I think they did appreciate a little bit of dissent. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that was a real blessing too, because, you know, the faculty there are some of my, you know, greatest colleagues, friends from residency. So, um, and having that bond, you know, over knowing that we both believe this thing and are willing to stand up for it was really great. 
Yeah. Did you did your fellow residents? How how were they? Did they were they kind of the same thing, sort of behind the scenes supporting you on this? Or no, it was really kept hush hush. I mean, the faculty knew about it. I didn't talk to any residents about it because I didn't okay. want them to think of right. me as you know starting this revolt or something. <laughs> I was just doing my job. Didn't wasn't going to go there, and um, so not a lot of residents knew about it. Some uh, some found out and they asked me about it. And I said, yeah, I just wasn't going to go. So, and they said, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, no one really was like, well, that's terrible that you're not going to go. And I think it's, be- it's because I had established a friendship with these, right. my co-residents that they know that I'm not crazy. They know I'm not this like religious zealot, you know, um, although I am zealous about my religion, <laughs> but they know that I'm not, you know, off keel or whatever. And so they trusted me. They trust my, right. my yeah. judgment. So I'd like to go back a little bit, talk about the, the JP2 Life Center, the Vitae um, yes. Center, as you talked, as you mentioned briefly. How did your experiences there impact your training and now your practice as, uh, as an OB-GYN? Yes. So the Vitae Clinic, I mean, I had only a few days there because, um, you know, I didn't have the rotation wasn't set up by the time I graduated. But they were, I mean, just huge supporters of me and my um, training and being a recourse to having some kind of alternative, which, you know, later, anyway, that's that's another branch of the story, how the curriculum actually came to be. But um, it impacted my practice of medicine now because I saw how awesome it, I always thought, you know, it'd be so awesome to have a clinic next to a pregnancy resource center and and they're doing it. And so to see how well it worked and how you know, how joyful they were at work and how they loved helping women. I mean, it was an awesome example to me of what good Catholic pro-life medicine is. So, I mean, they for sure, for sure had an impact. Yeah. I I have to ask you about your fellowship at uh, Banner University Medical Center um, in Phoenix, because that's where, well, we met when you were in Phoenix. Yes. Talk a little bit about your fellowship. Did you run into any challenges there? And, And if so, how did you, how did you navigate those? In fellowship, not as much. I mean, right. so I did a minimally invasive gynecologic surgery fellowship, hopes that I can help couples with infertility, you know, do fertility restorative surgeries. So um, they don't, it wasn't too many ethical issues. There were a few, like a few tubal ligations for like complicated patients. Um, you know, I just said, I don't do those and they were totally fine with it. I mean, I had a, a, just an amazingly supportive program. So I really didn't have too many issues in Phoenix. Yeah. All right. So that's for, for future uh, OB-GYNs. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> There's an option for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so let's move forward to your work today um, with Arbor Vitae uh, Health Clinic. So talk to us a bit about that. And tell us, first of all, what, what does a typical day look like for you at yeah, Arbor so Vitae? At Arbor Vitae. So I also, I just started in like November. So I'm still trying to get my uh, word, my name out there, but <laughs> so my days aren't super busy. But um, yeah, so I do full spectrum care OBGYN with a focus on NAPRO technology and minimally invasive surgery. So a, a typical day would be seeing patients in clinic. And if I had anyone in labor, you know, managing their labor during the day um, and then in the evening and night as well, if, if there was someone in labor and going to deliver. And then when there's a surgery, then that surgery, occasional days I'll will be a surgery day and I'll do surgeries. So, um, that's, that's a typical day. Typical day for you. Yeah. It's it's the good life now. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, cause I'm at a, I'm at a Catholic clinic 
where we all, you know, believe in the dignity of the human person from the moment of conception. And that just, that drives our care for the patient. And, you know, I can speak openly about that. I don't have to be constantly looking at who's looking over my shoulder and watching my every move. So it's so freeing. Yeah. So any women who are in the Dallas area, Ashley's looking for patients. <laughs> they just. I, I was going to ask you this question. You've, you've actually already answered it, but you know, are you able to practice in accord with your faith? And obviously, you are because you're at yes. a clinic that allows you to do that. Are, are you aware of? And I, I, I'm not going to ask you to name names or whatnot because you may not know. But how many clinics like yours are there in the country? Because I think there's probably more than we think there are. Yes, but there. I don't know the that. number, but right. I think. I, I honestly don't know. I couldn't even guess the number, but in most major cities, you'll probably find a doctor. Maybe that's not even true because in uh, Los Angeles, for example, I don't think there's an OBGYN. There's some, I think there's, I know of one in Southern California, but anyhow, there's, there's a few. I like Texas now has in every major city uh, clinic, I think. And if you're not sure if the clinic has a Latin name, <laughs> They're like all Latin named clinics, like Vitae in Austin, Veritas in Houston, Arbor Vitae in Dallas. <laughs> I mean, all right, that, that's, that's, a, that's, in Houston. <laughs> that's a good practical. If there's yeah. Latin, probably a fault is pretty good. Do you run into any challenges in your practice today? In other words, are, are there patients who may ask you for interventions or medications that um, that you have to navigate your way around? Yeah, the, even in my short time there, there's been a couple. I mean, there are probably less than than would normally happen because we have everyone sign when they come in as a new patient that we at this clinic we don't do tubal ligations or or um, contraception, so they all know. So the conversation doesn't really go that way. Um, but yeah, I've had you know a patient come in who wanted an abortion, and you know, so I just have to explain. You know, I see my job is taking care of both patients and. You know, right. I'm here to support you and whatnot, but there, there hasn't really been too many now that, um, yeah. Did that patient, <laughs> I'm just curious about the patient who was abortion minded. Do you, were you, was, were you able to maybe no, she, move her she in a different way? She transferred care. So I'm, I'm just praying that she didn't go that route, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So she transferred but you care. never know. Yeah. I know. So looking. Looking back on things, you know, you know, looking back, you know, here you are just starting your practice, but I'm asking you to look back. So, you know, looking back on mm-hmm. your medical training and everything else, how, how did your faith help to sustain you in the dark times and the trying times? How did it help then? And how does it help you today? Yeah, for sure. My, my faith is, I mean, it's, I mean, central to me being able to make it through medical school and residency training. And I always thought of it as, you know, these were every hardship that I had or every conflict that I had, they were all just little battles in a war that's already won. I mean, mm-hmm. we know the okay. outcome, yep. you know, yep. God's triumphant. He's already defeated death. So, you know, I just have to, I just have to stick through these battles <laughs> you know, right. to, to help yeah. out. So um, it's been integral. So that's given me a lot of hope and having, knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel with every conflict that you have. Um, and, you know, of course, being sustained by the sacraments, mass and regular confession. I mean, if anything, I would say at least do those two things, mass at the minimum every Sunday, and then confession as often as you can. Um, 
those will really sustain you. And then, of course, daily prayer um, helps. Yeah, for me too as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're uh, you're probably kind of lucky because you're you know you're with the well with the Latin name clinic with Arbor Vitae. <laughs> so so you're able to to essentially practice your faith you know, mm-hmm. in your profession, which is a good thing. But for those who may not be in that type of a situation, what advice would you give to people for balancing being a faithful Catholic and being a faithful OB-GYN? Sure. So um, for balancing being a faithful Catholic and a you know faithful OBGYN, first of all, that that balance never equates to compromising the truth. Never. I mean, just never compromise. That's one thing that you can't give in on is always live by the truth, no matter how hard it is. I think it gets easier if you lay down the foundation of friendship with your colleagues, of practicing good, solid medicine, making yourself excellent with your knowledge and your skills so that you're trusted. If you have that foundation, you know, then the truth has this nice fertile ground to grow off of. And you can then spread the truth even more, you know, and those are the issues that other people find issue with, I guess. Um, And so but then they know that it's coming from someone who they really trust. And so they, they may, may take a second to think about it. Yeah. So I, I said at the beginning of this interview that I was kind of aiming this one or, or focusing this interview for medical students or for residents and, and, and that people at the, you know, the beginning part of their medical careers. Mm-hmm. What advice, as we bring this interview to a close, what advice would you offer to faithful Catholics who are in medical school and or who are thinking about OBGYN as a specialty? Mm-hmm. Well, um, first, foundations uh, with your faith is are essential. So maintaining a spiritual life, going to mass, regular confession, those are going to be huge with being able to be a, a faithful Catholic in a world that's not that's not (laughs) and that wants you to be otherwise so that's first um and then i would say also finding your colleagues and mentors surrounding yourself with people who have the same beliefs as you so that you can have recourse to them just in a practical sense so you can get some advice and know how to handle certain situations and then personally like i've been saying be excellent i mean just be strive to be perfect Uh, And so that means knowing the medicine well, practicing your skills. So you have good surgical skills if you're going into a surgical specialty and then being very personable and friendly with everyone and and getting to know people for who they are. I mean, all of these things really add up to give you good, a good foundation so that you can, you know, stand strong when faced with something that compromises the truth. Yeah. 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 You mentioned, um, I'm just thinking about resources for medical students. And you mentioned when you were in medical school, it was the St. Basil? St. Basil Society. That's at UT Southwestern. Yep. Are there other, do you know of other medical schools who have something similar to that? I'm I'm trying to think of, you know, trying to offer, you know, students if you're in medical school. I mean, there's there's the CMA, the Catholic Medical Association has their boot camp. So that's obviously a, a, a resource to look into. But do you know if other medical schools have similar types of like the St. Basil Societies there as well? Yes. So the St. Basil, I can't remember if it was at an actual CMA medical group, but there are CMA medical groups at different campuses for sure. I, I don't know which medical schools they are at, but they're at several different medical schools. So that's definitely a good resource. Going to the CMA meetings are awesome. Yep. Yep. 
that was fantastic. I love going. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, I'm not, they're I'm great. not a physician and I love going. <laughs> yeah. Um, the NCBC, I actually called you guys for a, a consult on the hotline during residency. Um, that's a great resource. Um, APLOG, if you're going into OBGYN. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Ashley Womack, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Oh, gosh. Words of wisdom. Well, you've given us, to be honest with you, you've given us a lot already. So I I just. (laughs) Just stay firm in the truth. Know that the truth will never let you down. It's, it's beautiful. We have something very beautiful and very good. That's worth defending. It's worth the struggle every time. Awesome. I love it. Unfortunately, I don't think you could help me, but I'd love to have you as a physician. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, sorry. (laughs) But uh, yeah. So for those who are in the the Dallas area, again, where uh, where are you located? I'm at Presbyterian uh, Hospital in Dallas at Walnut Hill in 75. And the the practice is? Arbor Vitae Healthcare. And is there a website that people could uh, go to to follow? Um, there's, you can go to arborvitehealth.com or my personal website, ashleywomackmd.com. Awesome. Ashley Womack, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Thanks so much, Joe. I appreciate it. For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you would like to subscribe to our newsletter or our Bioethics Public Policy Report, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot. Archived editions of our podcast are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, please go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.